Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Let's read together, all right? All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what's right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. All right. If you have your Bible, you probably want to turn to Judges. Judges. That's right. We're in Judges. We're still going to be in Judges for a while. Uh, chapter 3. We got a question. Have you ever felt like just giving up on somebody? I mean, they have disappointed you so many times. They've treated you badly so many times. And, and they, they might even come and, and, you know, ask for forgiveness. And you, you just feel like, I'm done. I'm done. The cycle just has to end at some point. Um, or maybe you're on the opposite end. Maybe you feel like you're the one who has disappointed somebody else so many times that you could never even think of going back and asking for forgiveness. Yeah, there are two sides to, to the story, aren't there? Well, you know, um, as people, we have to remember that God loves us. And he loves us so much that regardless how many times we feel we've disappointed him, he still loves you. He still loves you. He still wants to hear from you. He still wants to forgive you. And basically, he wants you to know that you are forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. And he's going to respond. He's not going to remain silent no matter how many times you feel like you've failed him. All right? So this, this story today in Judges, it's actually one of my favorites. It's so cool. Um, if you're in, in chapter 3 of Judges, uh, any normal person uh, would just, like I said, quit, but God doesn't. So here in verse 12, it says this. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. You figure God's getting tired of this thing by now, right? Uh, and the Lord gave uh, King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. A little discipline going on here. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites, the Amalekites, the Mennonites. And, <laughs> no, that's a misname. Okay. Uh, and, and, and then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. Now, remember, the city of Jericho was the first city that the Israelites conquered, right? And they came back into the promised land. So a little reversal of fortune here going on. Um, and so the city of, of Palms and the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. Again, 
he did it again. No matter how many times Israel failed God, yes, they went through a period of discipline, but when they finally, finally, finally realize that they're going to have to depend on God one more time, he raises up a rescuer. Now, that's, of course, a reference to Jesus. Fast forward, New Testament, Jesus is raised up. So every time you see that raised up a rescuer, it's referring to forecasting the the eventual coming of the rescuer once for all time rescues us from sin, right? All right. And this rescuer, he's kind of an unexpected person. This is an interesting study. He says his name was Ehud. Ehud, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, how many here are left-handed? Raise your left hand. Okay, you guys are the weird ones. All right, okay. You're the weird ones here. And I'm, I'm just, just going with the Bible here, all right? So just hang on. Um, he, he's actually not the one that, that the people of Israel would have expected God to choose as a rescuer. Let me explain. Uh, the guy's left-handed, and uh, he's from the tribe of Benjamin, which interestingly means literally uh, the, the son of my right hand is Benjamin. So the guy's a lefty in a right-handed family. Okay? All right, so that, that's weird enough. But uh, basically, uh, you know, I think God has a sense of humor in, in essence. But uh, this would have been a total surprise that God would use a left-handed person. Um, because in the Bible, being right-handed is always positive. It's always referred to as a positive thing. A picture of creation, man and, and God, right? God right there is using his right hand, interestingly, to touch man's left hand in creation. It's interesting. Now, this is not an actual picture of God and, and uh, Adam, just so you know, okay? Just nobody was there with the camera. I'm just saying. All right. And, and so it, it says in the Bible, too, that God swears by his right hand. His pleasures are in his right hand. And Jesus sits at the right hand of God. So all of this right-handed stuff, it's like right hand must be a good thing, right? And so the right hand was a symbol of power. It was a symbol, symbol of ability. You fought with your sword in your right hand, okay? And, and literally translated here, Left-handed would read restricted. Or another way to say it uh, might mean that he was uh, actually uh, limited as to his right hand. You know, um, I'm I'm right-handed, but I'm kind of left-handed. I'm not quite ambidextrous, right? But um, I tried to use my left hand on a lot of things. And it's interesting, the left hand is just not as good as my right hand, Right? So what it's saying here is this man was left-handed means that he was restricted in his ability to use his right hand. Maybe he was just a natural lefty. We don't know. Some commentators believe that his his right hand might have actually been injured or deformed or maybe he didn't even have a right hand. We don't know, right? But uh, basically, being left-handed, sorry folks, was considered a physical defect, Okay, to some. So this makes Ehud a, a surprising choice as a judge and a rescuer. 
uh, to the, the people of Israel. He's not someone, if they find out that he's left-handed, that they think, well, you know, that, that's not somebody that should be in charge even, right? And so they would have chosen normally someone else. And yet he was God's choice. Now that's, that's good news for us, right? That God loves you, he cares deeply about you, and no matter what defect you think you might have in your life that would keep you from serving God in a significant way, doesn't matter. How many times in scripture do you see God using someone mightily who had a defect of sorts? Or they just thought they weren't capable, right? I mean, listen, listen, listen to this in Isaiah that actually describes the future Messiah. Isaiah 53 verses 2 and 3 says this, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and literally looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. That's forecasting the person of Jesus, the Messiah, that he was nothing special in the eyes of the normal human being, right? And God chose to use him. And maybe God even made Jesus' appearance which is debated back and forth, you know, was he this beautiful, you know, um, very handsome, tall, strong, you know, guy, or was he kind of mousy and not strong at all? Somebody that you wouldn't even look at, or if you did, you'd kind of go, ooh, okay, right? We don't know. We don't know. But this kind of indicates that at best he was a normal guy, not somebody that you might expect would would jump out there as the leader. And so we have in Ehud kind of a forecasting of Jesus. So why did God choose Ehud? Well, it's interesting. As we get further into the story, we realize that it it was necessary to choose Ehud for the task that God had for him. And it involved his left hand, right? So... We go to verse 15, it says this. It says, The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. So Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh. Okay? His right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. Okay? It says, after delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. And he came to Eglon and he said, I have a secret message for you. Now, who, who, can, who can not want to know what the secret is, right? And so he kind of you know, lays a little breadcrumbs there. He says, I got a secret. And so the king is curious. The king is curious, right? And uh, and so uh, the king commands his servants, be quiet, and he sent them all out of the room. Now, that's significant. The king did not consider Ehud a threat at all. 
Why? He's left-handed. He's left-handed. You know, maybe he had a deformed right hand. We don't know, but for some reason, the king thought Ehud was not a threat at all. That's significant, right? Okay. And so then Ehud walks over to Eglon, who was sitting in a cool in a cool upstairs room. Now, that makes sense, right? Okay. Uh, sitting in the cool upstairs room. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. Now, before they put that next picture up there, I want you to, you know, if you're squeamish, don't look. Okay, because this is a pretty graphic picture of, of the next thing that happens here. Okay, so, so Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger, strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Okay. Okay, you might need to look away. Okay. It says that the, <laughs> I like doing that. Okay. Uh, it says that the dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. Wow. So Ehu did not pull out the dagger, just left it in there. And, and it says, and the king's bowels emptied. Oh, that's gross, right? Okay. So then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and he escaped down the latrine. Right? So a lot of a lot of the old castles and such, you'll see that you know in the king's room or wherever they they had is upstairs and they had a special little alcove or little room where he would go to the bathroom and uh, and it was just a hole, right? And basically it went down to a bunch of other stuff that went down there, okay? And all the way, well, that's how Ehud got out, right? Um, that might sound crazy, but um, maybe when you're in a battle and you need to get back to where you need to be as a, as a person, you might have to go through some poop. <laughs> All right? Uh, a lot of people uh, might be giving you poop, right? But after Ehud was gone, the king's servants returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. And they thought he might be using the latrine in the room. Now remember, his bowels had emptied, and so they're they're going they're outside the door and going, "Woo, okay, I guess the king's, you know, doing his business, right?" Now, isn't that significant though that God had this whole thing worked out so that Ehud could get away? And uh, basically, it says, "But when the king didn't come out after the long delay, they became concerned and they got a key." And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. And while the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sarah. Now, here's another little detail that you shouldn't be really overlooked, okay? Uh, when he escaped, he ran past the idols. Now, these idols, remember we talked last week, some of them were... Um, Erected to uh, represent all the sexual activity that went on in the in the uh, temple area where there were temple prostitutes and all these things, and they basically represented these idols that you went to for pleasure, and um, and so Ehud gets to this spot where all these idols are erected, set up, and all of a sudden he's going like, oh, I've got to get out of here. There's another passage in the New Testament that talks about escaping sin. And it says, flee youthful lusts. 
It means run fast away from things that draw you in, that make you feel good, make, make, but they're not good for you. And sometimes it's just the proximity issue, right? We need to get out of the influence, get away from it, stop doing things where it brings you close to those, those things, run away. Remember, there's another, another passage in the Old Testament where Joseph was serving in, uh, in, a, in Potiphar's wife's room, right? And she grabbed his cloak and said, come to bed with me. And what does he do? He runs out of there. He runs away, right? I mean, it's just another, another way of describing if there is sin in our life, if there's something going on that, that's dragging us down, like the people of Israel not worshiping the one true God so, so many times, so long, that ultimately God disciplines him. And then finally, after 18 years, they cry out and say, we need relief from this oppression, this, this sense that we are captivated and controlled by sin. And so you finally call out to God, and what does God say? Put that thing to death and run away. Run as far as you can away from this sin that's held you captive for so long. And the beautiful thing is that God gives us the resource. Number one, in Jesus, forgiving our sin. Remember? If we're... If we're you know, feeling like we're held captive by some kind of sin. We know it's wrong. It's really weighing heavy on us. We go through confession, right? We agree with God that it's wrong. We agree with God that it's been paid for. And then we agree with God that with his help and maybe the help of others in the, in the church family, we can overcome this sin. But what we have to do, first and foremost, is get out of Dodge, Right? Get away from it as far as you can, as quick as you can. So he runs. He runs past these idols that uh, he was probably at one time involved in serving. It says in verse 27, When he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills, and he says, Follow me. This is the leader, and he's saying to the people, Follow me. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Fast forward, New Testament. Jesus draws his band together, right? And he says what? Follow me. Follow me was always the words that the rabbi who was gathering disciples, gathering people that he was going to teach to become like him, to believe the same things that he believed and to live the same kind of life that he lived in relationship to God and other people, he would use the term, follow me. It was just so filled with meaning. It it, it just meant, you come, I'm inviting you to come and be with me. So here now, God's chosen leader is telling other people, you come and follow me. Just follow my lead. And that's essentially what we're called to do. We cry out to God for relief. And he sends us his son, Jesus, our rescuer, our savior, our forgiver. And Jesus says, follow me. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, Jesus led a sinless life, and so we we do what we can to lead a sinless life. That's not our goal in life, right? Our goal in life is to just love God with all our heart, 
our soul, all our mind, all our strength, and love other people the way God loves us. That's our goal. But as we do that, we realize, hey, we have imperfections still we're working on. And so we, we let what has happened on the inside of us come out. And we see that metaphor all the time, right? And so here, Jesus is saying, follow me. And what that means is that we're going to be about the same business that Jesus is about. And for us, one of the main things that we want to be about is telling people that God loves them. That they can be freed from those addictions and the powers that hold them captive. Make them feel like they have to do certain things or they can't do certain things, right? We want to help them know that God loves them. And so God puts us in a position to be like Jesus to other people, to love them regardless of what they've done or where they're at in their life, right? We reach out in love to them like Jesus reached out to us. Well, it says that they followed him. And the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing over. They attacked the Moabites. They killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. And not one of them escaped. So Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. Wow. So when God says, follow me, the only path to real peace is to follow. Follow. And do the things that your leader tells you to do. Right? In James, it says, it says don't be naive. You know, faith without works is dead. In other words, it's not saying that works save you, but but if you really have faith, if you're really going to believe in Jesus and follow him, you're going to be doing what Jesus would be doing right now, right? That's what we are about. And so we we follow. We get get to get busy doing what Jesus would be doing. So a couple of takeaways this morning. Number one, you are never too far gone when it comes to God. Don't think that you have messed up so many times that God doesn't love you. It's not true. Cry out to God. He is there to listen, to love, to help, to forgive, to remind you that you are a child of the King. All right? Don't ever think that you've gone too far and you can't be helped. Number two, God loves you uh, and loves you, loves to use someone that you might never expect, even you. Okay? When I was uh, my first full-time youth pastorate, it was way back in 1976. You do the math, right? Um, our pastor at the church had been there many years, and I was privileged to serve under him. Uh, his name was, was John, Pastor John. And uh, the guy was just the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet, but he couldn't preach his way out of a paper bag. Um, I mean, you'd listen to him because you liked him, not because he was a good preacher, all right? There's a difference. And, 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 and a lot of people criticized John because he loved to play golf. And, uh, I mean, he was out there every Monday, you know, at the country club playing golf with guys and stuff. And, and a lot of people criticized him because that was his favorite thing to do. But when John went out on the golf course, he was always sharing Jesus with these guys. And uh, he said, you know, once I start, you know, 18 holes, he says, I got him. 
you know. They're not walking off the course, right? And he says, so I'm going to be the best golfer I can be. So they want to beat me. They want to, you know, stay out there. But he says, I'll, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. You know, when he retired, uh, we filled the sanctuary. Now, we were in a church of about 1,200 people. And uh, the sanctuary, we had like three services. But I mean, we crammed, I don't know how many people in that place. Then we had an overflow thing for the, the service. What was really interesting, they asked a question. And they said, how many people here in this congregation were led to Christ by John? Two-thirds of the people in that space stood up. Yeah. He used his time wisely. You know? He wasn't the guy that you would expect to be a leader of a big church like that. Okay? And yet God chose him to be the leader because he was the person that God needed for that moment in time. I guess there were a lot of golfers that needed to come to Jesus, you know? So don't be surprised. God can use you, your, your unique personality, whatever you're doing. Your sphere of influence is important to God. Don't think for a second that he doesn't want to use you. He does. And it just starts by you being kind-hearted and loving and caring about other people. And if you do that, you might be surprised how many people might even come to faith. 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 26-29 says this, Remember that few of you were wise in the Lord's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to bring to nothing what the world considered important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God loves to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Okay? Third takeaway. I said this before. You may have to go through some poop. Right? To get out of a situation you are now in. Sometimes it means confession. Sometimes it means restoration. Um, There's some difficult things you might have to go through in order to make things right if you've done something wrong. If there's something that is very difficult, that's okay. God is there to help you through it. Remember, you might have to do some battling before you finally rest, right? Um, If there's something that you've had a hard time getting over, getting rid of in your life, it might be a battle for a little while. But know that God is on your side, right? And be willing to engage other people to help you in the process and experience finally the peace that God wants you to experience in your life. All right? All right. God can help us all with those things. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Um, thank you for the story that you used a, a guy that we wouldn't have normally chosen to be the leader, but you gave him whatever he needed You created him in a special way to use him for a special task. God, help us to see the tasks that you set before us and uh, help us to remember that um, it's our forgiveness. It's our weakness 
when we confess it, that really makes us strong in you. Because people can see you forgiving and loving in spite of those things that we've done wrong. God, it's just an amazing way that you work in us and through us. So thank you, thank you, thank you for continuing to forgive us as we continue to call out to you because we have great need, Lord. Thank you for helping us when we're weak. We love you. We bless you. Help us to encourage one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.